BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's roundtable. Yeah, even with Congress out of town. It's been a busy week where the battle lines on impeachment were drawn clearer than ever. Democrats, backed up by at least five witnesses, say there was indeed a quid pro quo. President Trump withholding military aid from Ukraine until Ukraine agreed to dig up dirt on Joe Biden. Republicans, after denying it for weeks, now agree that there was in fact a quid pro quo, but so what? It's not an impeachable offense. Public hearings start next week. Meanwhile, on the campaign trail 2020, Elizabeth Warren unveils her big Medicare for all plan and receives incoming fire from Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, and Amy Klobuchar. While Virginia turns even more blue and red Kentucky elects a Democratic governor. Wow. Here to try to make sense of it all for us, John Bennett covers the White House for a roll call. Hey, John. Hi, Bill. Welcome back. Good to see you. Lauren Burke, uh, writer for Black Press USA. Hello, Lauren. How are you doing? All right. We're great. And uh, in from the campaign trail on a rare visit to Washington, D.C. for a communal visit, uh, Alex Seitzwald. (laughs) Uh, covers the campaign for MSNBC. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right, Alex. Great to see you. Welcome, you all. Uh, so a little bit of breaking news. Uh, the president, of course, a couple of weeks ago announced that he was canceling subscription to the Washington Post and the New York Times. I'm sure you all saw his first tweet this morning where he said that a report in the Washington Post this morning uh, that Bill Barr re- refused to hold a news conference saying that the president did not break the law. Uh, in his phone call with uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine, that that was fake news. So, John, I guess he's reading the Washington Post after all? Well, uh, there is a difference between getting the print edition and having a digital subscription. Uh, Aha, I see what you did there, Mr. President. You know, we see him from time to time with a printout of stories. Uh, There was an event in the East Room recently, and he was asked about a story, and he reached into his jacket, into his suit jacket, and produced said story that the staff had printed out for him. So the digital subscriptions are still alive and well at the White House. Yeah, we sort of knew, Alex, didn't we, that this was... BS. (laughs) BS. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't function without reading. Pretending the New York Times and the Washington Post don't exist, it would be pretty counterproductive to his job of claiming that those newspapers are fake news if you can't even read the fake news. But it's also, it, you know, it's the way he goes after these things where it's it's like the, 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 the full flood of attacks where his attacks are contradictory, but you, he, he'll say they're, they're anonymous sources that don't exist, but they're also partisan sources who are out to get him. So, you know, they're non-existent partisan sources who are also in the fake news uh, press. Just choose your, your one. Yeah. I, so 
he can't help Mark. himself. He's got to know what people are saying about him because he's just a full-fledged narcissist. So there's no way that the information will ever completely be turned off. He will always be looking at what people write about him. But it's sort of like uh, with CNN, right? He says nobody watches CNN. Right, I would right. never watch CNN. And then he goes on and tweets about Don Lemon, right? Right. Lauren said he's a narcissist. Uh, I, I will say that he, I think he, it's, I think it's safe to say he has an addiction to coverage about himself. I mean, we could say that. I can't. That's say, a good definition of right, a narcissist. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you gotta keep the reporter hat on uh, somewhat here. I, I can say I have noticed that I have not seen uh, the stacks of the physical newspapers, at least in the yeah. press areas of the White House, at least where the staff works in the West Wing. So I, I've noticed that those, at so, least they're not visible right. if they're still there. Technically, I think the distinction you may yeah. make, which is that really not a distinction anymore with so many people sure. uh, getting their news online. Right. right? Uh, so last week at our roundtable, uh, we talked about the testimony of um, the charge d'affaires for Ukraine, William Taylor, uh, talking about that maybe being a game changer. Was there another game changer this week in the testimony or, or when Gordon Sundland went back all the witnesses are given a chance to review the deposition, uh, the, the written copy of the deposition, before it's made public. And he went back and looked at it and said, mm, no, uh, I want to change this, and I want to say there was a quid pro quo. That's a big deal, Alex. Huh? He Just a minor, uh, just a tweak that he wanted to make, which was <laughs> the entire thing uh, was the opposite of what he remembered. Right. He, yeah. said he, he said he refreshed his recollection, which I think is, you know, on the short list for all-time Washington spin. Hall of Fame spin terms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, so he said, uh, actually, in fact... I do believe there was a quid pro quo. I do believe there was pressure applied to Ukraine that they wouldn't get the military aid unless they did the investigation into the Bidens that the Trumps wanted. Uh, so it's a major reversal. And this is not a guy who you can say is an Obama holdover. He's not an intelligence official. He is a Trump donor. The only reason that he was in the administration in the first place was because he gave money. He's a, he's a hotel owner. For, a million dollars. He gave a million dollars to the inaugural committee. He's a hotel owner. He's not, a, a you know, the, the only reason he's there is because he's loyal to Donald Trump. So I think he's an especially credible witness for Democrats now that he's recanted. But, Lauren, it looks like he was just trying to save his ass, right? Because <laughs> yeah, he, well, there's nothing I mean, more clear. He had lied clearing. to Congress. and <laughs> yeah, he lied to Congress, and there's nothing that will clear the mind quicker than your attorney telling you about perjury charges, right? <laughs> so some sort of discussion obviously happened in the background, and he came back, and I don't know whether his attorney slipped him a photo of Cyrus Vance or what happened, but he, he clearly clearly realized the ramifications of perjury. In a lot of these cases, of course, people typically don't go down for the thing that is the overriding issue. They go down for lying yeah. to yep. investigators. I mean, it happens over and over and over again. Right. And he's probably lucky that he was able to go change what he said, because in most of these cases, you're not able to do that. So, so, so John, he becomes, uh, we lose track, right? The fifth or sixth witness, administration official witnesses, including um, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who was, is that his name, right? Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, who was on the call, mm -hmm. who has said, yes, there was a quid pro quo. Um, that sort of makes this whole effort to out the whistleblower kind of meaningless, doesn't it? 
in, in a way, it does. Uh, what the president's trying to do with the whistleblower is uh, the same thing he's trying to do with most things. He's trying to fire up his base. He's trying to ensure you know this gigantic conservative turnout in the right places. Trying to paint the whistleblower as just part of a liberal cabal. Um, but what Sondland did when he changed his testimony uh, for 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 the House Democrats, he handed them a gift because he was the only one. There was one official who had not said there was a quid pro quo, and yeah. that was Sondland. And now Sondland says, yes, there was, and I delivered the message. So it that it takes that off the table now because, you know, now the Democrats have a consistent uh, testimony string that they can point to, and they're going to start public hearings next week. In this tribal era that we're in politically, though, I wonder if even public hearings, if, if you know, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman and Bill Taylor and maybe Gordon Sondland sitting at the witness table on live television saying, yes, I understood there was a quid pro quo and it came directly from President Trump. I still wonder if that's going to break through. I wonder if that's going to matter in these six or seven swing states mm. where, you know, all the experts in the Trump campaign folks will tell you and the Democratic folks will tell you where this election will be decided. I just wonder if it's going to sway enough people, even if Bill Taylor, who is the leadoff hitter and the most important witness for Democrats, if he lays this all out very plainly, very clearly, and says, yes, the president ordered this in so many words, I still wonder if that's gonna, going to really shift public opinion in a way that it's going to change enough minds among Senate Republicans to, to, to have any other conclusion here than the president's impeached before Christmas, the Senate has a trial in the new year, and he's he's acquitted. There. So, how much, Alex? Are the networks going to cover these hearings? Oh, I think it's going to be huge. I mean, I, I can't speak on behalf of my employer, but yeah, I I, I was just in Iowa on the uh, 2020 trail, and all the campaigns are very nervous that they're just going to be completely ignored because all the networks are going to be entirely focused on the impeachment hearings. Right. Uh, so, if that is out there in the public, Lauren, um, to John's point, aren't the battle lines really already drawn pretty clear that? On the one side, it's, yes, there was a quid pro quo. And on the other side, it's, yes, there was a quid pro quo, but so what? Yeah, well, but it's not a I mean, so what it, because I, the first poll that we just saw polling that came out that indicates a majority of Americans are okay with impeachment. So that was the first time that happened. The president's numbers have been underwater for quite some time. What we just saw this week in Kentucky and Virginia would indicate that it's meaningful. Now, it may not be specifically meaningful in terms of, okay, if he gets impeached, you know, can his numbers get worse or will he lose in 2020? It can't help him, though. I don't know why it would help him. But I think people are getting tired of the constant talking about process and arguments and investigations and not policy uh, when we have a, a country that, you know, has some policy needs that are sitting there always getting ignored because we're in this constant cycle of, of dealing with political conflict. Well, I want to go back to the whistleblower in a second, too, on that whole attack, line of attack. But in terms of Republicans standing by uh, Donald Trump, um, even Lindsey Graham, who um, broke with Donald Trump little bit over <laughs> Syria, <laughs> right? Then sort of patched that up with a Band-Aid of uh, we're going to leave a few 50 troops there or something like that. Um, he has really swung around to saying he thinks this whole argument, uh, whatever they say, is meaningless, right? Here's Lindsey Graham. I've read the transcript for myself. I made up my own mind. Volker, the special envoy, said there was no quid pro quo. Sunderland has changed his testimony to say he presumes there was. What I can tell you about the Trump policy toward the Ukraine, it was incoherent. It depends on who you talk to. They seem to be incapable of forming a quid pro quo. 
So this is a new line of defense, John. They're, they're, they're just in, in, incompetent. Right. It's the incompetence. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is meant as a, sure. as a positive, right, for Lindsey Graham. They're right. incompetent. The what, what choice do they have? What choice do they have? Are they going to admit that the president committed crimes? I mean, so they're always, that's why their strategy, as Alex already brought up, of sort of bringing up that there's this dark state, there's this entity, the magic hand that's out there that's against us, that's making this happen, is off of the facts of the conversation because you cannot argue the facts of the conversation. They won't even try then. No, John. and if you spend time with the transcripts of Sondland and uh, and 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 uh, Kurt Volker's testimony, Lindsey Graham has a point here. <laughs> I spent hours with those documents, and there 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 was confusion among both those gentlemen. They're reporting confusion from John Bolton. He's confused. His deputy, oh. Miss Hill, is confused. <laughs> NSC staffers. No one really knows what's going on here. No one knows who's in charge. No one knows who's kind of driving the Ukraine policy train. And uh, they find out at a certain point in May, it's not until late May, May 23rd, a meeting at in the Oval Office with the president, um, that the conductor of this here train is one Rudolph Giuliani. So, But then uh, Sondland and, and Volcker don't really talk to Giuliani. So they're over here doing their, as, as Sondland said, I went back to doing my own thing. They're not communicating directly with Giuliani, so they're trying. They're trying one policy path while Giuliani is out here trying to get these investigations started, and 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 then there's the matter of the aid and Sondland and Volker and others are trying to get that moving. They couldn't get a straight answer on why it was frozen, and it's not until around the time of of the now infamous July 25th call that they start to piece it together what's going on here. Right. Uh, and Trump, in the middle of it all, probably doesn't know where he's going from one day to the next, right? No, and, and the picture they paint, those two, Sondland and Volker, paint a picture, which has been corroborated by, by Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and others, that Rudy was in the president's ear more than anyone else about Ukraine, more forcefully, with the, they call mm -hmm. this negative narrative that he, reinforcing that, you know, Trump already was getting uh, negative information from Fox News and other places, John Solomon in the Hill, um, which was feeding Fox News's coverage. So Trump's watching that. Then he's talking to Rudy. Then the professional diplomats come in and say, no, sir, uh, President Zelensky is different. He ran on this. He has to do this if, if he wants to get reelected. He's a politician now, just like you. And Trump's not listening. Trump's saying, yeah, but Rudy says, yeah, but I saw on Fox this person say this about Ukraine. They're all bad people. They're all corrupt. And they couldn't break through that. The Volker, Sondland, and others couldn't break through that. Right. So, Alex, it really comes down to the fact that it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in the media? In fact, as Rand Paul said the other night, I mean, you're just not doing your job. Well, I, I mean, I, Here, I, here's, let's listen to Senator Paul, right? Hunter Biden made $50,000 a month. We know he got it only because of his family connections. We also now know the name of the whistleblower. I say tonight to the media, do your job and print his name. Why don't you, Alex? Well, I mean, first, it's an incredible uh, turnaround for the so-called libertarian Rand Paul to be out here wanting to name a whistleblower. He was a very uh, pro defender of Edward Snowden and, and the uh, previous leaks who did not go through the uh, proper channels like this whistleblower did, it should be said. Uh, but I, I think... May I just put a little footnote on there? And in 2014, announced that he was going to introduce legislation. He, Rand Paul, 
to strengthen the protections for federal employees, whistleblowers. Right. Yeah. So, but but I think the, now the, he wants to hang one. To hang one. Yeah. I mean, essentially, the, uh, I I think the way that all of this makes sense is if you just assume for Republicans defending Trump, the facts do not matter. They have already concluded that he's innocent. Uh, or at least they've concluded that they have determined to conclude that he's innocent, and they're acting more like defense attorneys than like politicians. So they've come to the conclusion that they want, and now they have to find some way to get there. And that may change the path of how you get there. It's the media's fault. It's the deep state's fault. It's the process. It's Adam Schiff in the basement. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we just have to get somewhere to him being innocent. Right. I love the basement argument, by the way, because why are they in the basement? It just happens to be because the skiff <laughs> is located basement. in the basement. No. <laughs> the most state-of-the-art skiff on Capitol Hill that both parties signed off on. And when we, and trust me, I was covering Congress, and when Republicans were in yeah. the majority, they used the same room a lot. Which happens to be in the Basement. But, it, but it, it's but. classic Trump. It's classic, it's classic Trump because the implication is you only do nefarious things in the basement. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Uh, by the way, there is other stuff going on, not just the impeachment. Uh, and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't recognize that. Uh, so we'll jump into non-impeachment news uh, after a quick break. Today's roundtable for the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the Iron Workers Union, those good men and women of the Iron Workers Union. They are building our communities today under the leadership of President Eric Dean, you bet, and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Uh, check out their website at ironworkers.org. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Looking back at the news of this week with uh, today's roundtable, John Bennett from Roll Call, Lauren Burke from Black Press USA, Alex Seitzwald, MSNBC, elections, 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 big, three big state elections this week, um, and with some good news and bad news for both Democrats and Republicans, I guess. Let's start with Virginia. First time in 26 years that Democrats have control of both houses of the state legislature. Lauren, big deal. A really big deal. Um, so this to me is a continuation of what was started in 2017, the wave of 2017. All 15 uh, legislators mm -hmm. that were elected in 2017 were reelected again. Flipped, uh, fifth, fifth, this flipped week. 15 in uh, 2017. Exactly right. And so to me, the two takeaways uh, are that it is a reflection of, uh, I think, fear around Donald Trump. Uh, there, There is the idea that 
Um, there are other factors in these states and obviously the issues uh, in, in Kentucky around education and health care and all that. But I do think at the end of the day, what, what gets voters out the door is something emotional, something that makes them angry, and something that transcends issues. So I think that that was one of the takeaways. The other takeaway, I would think, too, would be that the issue, the scandal that happened in February had no impact whatsoever. There was always this idea in Virginia that that was going to impact, mm-hmm. you know, the Democrats' uh, races, et cetera, and so on. And, and full disclosure, I, I actually consult for crisis comms Justin Fairfax, who is the lieutenant governor of Virginia, who is, of course, mm-hmm. involved in that. And what we found is that there was no impact. When a voter goes into a voting booth, they are looking at the two people, and then that's it. But somehow Trump is transcending that, because I'd like to think consistently that, well, why would Trump affect the two names that you're looking at on the ballot? But in fact, I, I think it definitely does, because it, it galvanized Democratic turnout in a way that they have not seen in a lot of years. Right. So, Alex, um, some people say that the real story, uh, I don't want to talk, John, about you and Kentucky and Donald Trump's role down there, but um, first, Alex, that the real story Tuesday was not Virginia, was not Kentucky, it was Pennsylvania, where, talk about the suburbs, as mm-hmm. we saw in Virginia, mm-hmm. yeah. that in Pennsylvania, the suburbs around Philadelphia, right. which have been one of them, Delaware County, Republican since the Civil War days. Yeah. Now uh, all Democratic. Right, Bucks County too, which is up there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the the big political trend that we're seeing across the country, and it just keeps being borne out. These are very way way down ballot uh, elections that we're talking about here. Yeah, county supervisor, county, right. you know, countywide uh, office holders, but they are an indication because when you're that far down the ballot, they're the, they're the farm team. They're the farm team, and they're and people. It really gives you a sense of it's almost a generic partisan test because people don't really know county supervisor people they know the party so you're yeah. so you're you're almost voting you know generic democrat generic republican uh yes yeah, so these are right outside uh, the kind of the philly suburbs these you know long time uh, republican stronghold suburbs going to be key in 2020 they flipped towards democrats just like a lot of uh, in virginia a lot of those state legislative districts that flipped are the suburbs in richmond and northern virginia there are no republicans left in the right. representing northern virginia similar in the richmond suburbs and this is happening everywhere across the country right uh and then we get to kentucky right where donald trump went down the night before i don't know whether you were with him or not john the night before i got matt bevan up on the stage with him matt bevan who really tried to nationalize this election right. by wrapping himself around Donald Trump and it didn't work. So then the Trumpers right say, well, he was an unpopular governor. There was no way we could save him. He did better than he would have done if Donald Trump had gone down there. That was their spin. So yeah, they, what does this say about Trump's coattails? Well, I talked to a strategist and a couple professors who, who have watched this race and, and are watching 2020 closely and, you know, track 2018. And they say that, that this shows that Trump's coattails only really extend to rural areas and the whole ball game for Trump will be, you know, he'll try to weigh in on these. He'll try again Thursday in Louisiana, next Thursday in Louisiana to, to, to try to, to help the Republican governor candidate down there. Um, but for him, he's just got to really, you know, jack up rule turnout for himself in 2020 and try to offset um, the hemorrhaging that he's seeing in, in the suburbs. And that's what we saw in Kentucky. Um you know the the suburbs really went for uh, for for Lieutenant Governor Bashir, and it really makes you wonder if if Trump has any 
has any coattails in the places that are that are going to matter here. Um, because if he's just going to try to jack up his conservative turnout, you know, that might not help other other Republican candidates. It certainly didn't help Bevin. We'll see if it helps um, if it helps uh, Mr. Uh, Rispone down in Louisiana. That's a very close race with uh, with John Bell Edwards, the incumbent, incumbent Democratic governor. It's neck and neck. It's a dead heat. And the president that, and his campaign announced after the right as the rally was ending last night that he's going back um, next Thursday. So he is taking ownership of that Louisiana race. It didn't work out in Kentucky, but the spin from from the White House and the Trump campaign yesterday was, well, there were 14 statewide races in Kentucky. Republicans won 13. So the president's role there, injecting himself, did play a role. And we went 13 out of 14. And they, you know, in so many words said Bevin was just a, a terrible candidate and an even worse governor. He alienated way too many people. He just picked too many fights. Um, and the president couldn't help him. But as you said, they said, you know, the president made the margin a lot smaller, but couldn't. Basically, Bevin was just too awful to save. Yeah. Hmm. As a candidate who ran for statewide office in California and lost, the the size of the margin doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really matter. What really matters is whether you win or lose. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not, they're not, they have a point that Bevin is one of the least popular governors oh, in the yeah, country. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but if Trump can't bring out the base to get Matt Bevin reelected in a state right. that Trump won by 30, 30 points. points. Right. Thank you. Then, yes. if, then if you're a Republican in, in a, a blue state, a purple state, then I think you start to worry. Right. Because if, if Trump should be able to, to bring it across, bring you across the finish line anywhere, it should be in Kentucky. So yeah. I saw the morning after uh, my friend Hugh Hewitt, um, conservative radio talk show host, tweeted out that the message it's clear from last night that if Republicans want to win in 2020, they will hug Donald Trump and stand close by him. Well, obviously, his poll numbers would not indicate that. <laughs> People like Andy Bashir would not indicate that. And the Virginia legislature going to 55 seats, the 45 would not indicate that. I actually think that, you know, there's fatigue. It's not just the Trump thing, but it, there's something underneath there with regard to real actual issues. Uh, obviously, in Kentucky, the health care issue played a big role. Mm -hmm. But when you see Virginia go from purple to now blue and you see that they can't, you know, the Virginia Republican Party can't elect a Republican, haven't elected one since 2009. And the one they did elect was a moderate Republican. It was Bob McDonald. So, I mean, the idea that that doesn't matter and that you've got this guy running around wanting to do rallies, reminding everybody of how partisan we are. That can't possibly not. I mean, he is the leader. Obviously, the leader of the party is your highest elected official. So the way that he comes across to voters, particularly swings, matters. Can, you know, this is where it really matters. Can I, yeah, can I just, I'm curious, John, about, I mean, I, I, I lost track about how many, Donald Trump did what, three rallies this week? I mean, it's just two, like, two, every, and yeah. one's still coming up, right? Uh, no, oh, no, no, okay. For, no, two this week. Yeah, two, but it's almost like every other not. night, right, <laughs> or every third night, he's out on the road That's right. in some red state mm -hmm. during a rally. Mm -hmm. I mean, why? I wouldn't be surprised if we get a rally early next week. I don't really have anything to indicate that but, just yet. But um, Is this know. just because he likes doing them and they need to fill <laughs> he, his time up with something? He, or, he likes doing them. He is convinced that it makes a difference, that it helps these Republican candidates. Um, and, and he thinks it helps his own reelection. And he does view this as uh, something of a television show. And he wants to be out there. He wants to be in front of the cameras. 
Um, you know, he's he, it's clear he's <laughs> his own communications director. He thinks he's his own best defender, communicator. He wants to be out there, and the rally gives him an hour and a half to do that. And, Bill, you know this. As somebody who's been in politics, I've been in politics since I was 12. My mother worked for a politician in New York. Wow. Politicians love to be in front of an audience cheering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think right. Trump in particular mm-hmm. is addicted to that. But I think it's a universal thing with most politicians. He needs it. He, he <laughs> yeah, needs right. it. And when he's, right. when he's in trouble yeah. or huh. senses trouble, right. I will, <laughs> in right. the basement of the White House, That's I'll look right. at my reporter colleagues and say, we're going to get a rally. <laughs> we're going to get a rally soon because the boss is going to need it. Right. And within a day or two, they'll announce a rally. Okay, now... There is uh, a Democratic primary going on. And this interesting this week, Alex, you've been on the road. You said you just got back from Iowa. So the latest from Iowa, Quinnipiac yesterday, Elizabeth Warren, 20, Pete Buttigieg, 19, Bernie Sanders, 17, Joe Biden, 15. For all practical purposes, these four are tied in Iowa. What's going on? What do you feel on the ground out there? Is this Buttigieg surge real is biden fading is elizabeth warren running away with it what's going on uh, i think all of the above <laughs> potentially i mean yes yeah, yeah. so, so i was on the, uh, the 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 booty bus as they call it, the booty judge bus and um <laughs> one of the other reporters kind of put it to him it's, it looks like you're a front runner ish in iowa and he said yeah i'll take that so i think that's kind of where where he is and uh we were in these counties that switched from obama to trump uh, up in kind of north Eastern Iowa, and he was getting huge turnout for uh, a, a candidate in these, you know, a town of 7,000 people getting 1,000 people to turn out. So he, Buttigieg is looking very good. Uh, one concern I did hear from people is that he might be peaking a little bit too early, that, you know, he's the kind of fresh face, mm-hmm. he might not be built to last. Biden is definitely struggling, and I've been hearing from his team that they're now starting to say, well, we don't really need to win Iowa. We can, we're the only candidate who can lose Iowa, lose New Hampshire, because, you know, it's New England, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie are going to win there, but we're going to come in big in South Carolina, and then we're built to last for the long haul. Uh, Warren, I, I do think there's some concern that she's plateauing a little bit. She's been coming under a lot of pressure on mm-hmm. Medicare for All. Still really strong. I still think she has a lot of room to grow. And I talked to a lot of voters who, uh, even if she's not their number one, she's on their their list. And Bernie is I, still has his really strong core loyal base. I don't think he's built it, but I was surprised after his heart attack. I think a lot of people thought that would be the beginning yep. of the end for him. And if yep. anything, his supporters have only doubled down and recommitted because they feel like he needs us now. Uh, more than ever. But his challenge now remains the challenge that he's had all along, which is how does he build that and expand that base? Right. So, Lauren, it seems that Elizabeth Warren has just decided to bet the ranch on Medicare for all. Yeah. Well, I think that healthcare... The whole program. She put it out there, how I'm going to pay for it, and there's some creative or unusual ways of paying for it. But at any rate, that's her plan, and she's, she's... She's writing it. I think when you have 250,000 Americans uh, on GoFundMe uh, asking for money for health care bills, that's an indicator that it is a huge issue that we have not fixed. And other countries have figured out how to fix. It touches everybody. Mm-hmm. It goes across demographics. It's rural. It's but Ameri- urban. Are, are, are it's Americans ready for her fix? I well, think, I don't know. Way. But every time I hear something about how to pay for something, even if it's $20 trillion, I always think to myself, you know, what she likes to say, which is that we always figure out ways to pay for things when it's a missile or a war. But then when it's health care for our own citizens, everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about yeah. how we can't pay for it. So I, I know that that's a, you know, liberal progressive answer to it. But it's true. I mean, we do pay mm-hmm. for things yeah. and get into debt. And, 
and we figure it out and we move forward. But then when we talk about health care, oh, my God, we can't do it because we can't pay for it. Now, obviously, Klobuchar has this argument, which is an irrelevant argument, that, you know, how are you going to pass this through Congress, right? <laughs> we just had a war over health care in 2010. The Tea Party was created over health care, so and, and stopping that from happening. We get all that. But the very conversation of it, it's amazing how she's having more trouble, of course, from her own party because we're in the right. primary season yeah. than anybody else. And so I think that she, you know, I predicted on your show that she's going to get the nomination. Biden's going to lose. Because <laughs> I think so. Biden, people who lose, just lose again and again on the national yeah. level. But anyway, I, I think that she is going to be able to, you know, figure out a way to message this better. And she's going to have to obviously articulate the money piece better. So, so John, speaking about Joe Biden... Um, he is getting a little flack now because yesterday he said, or maybe a day before, uh, that once Trump is gone, that Republicans are going to have an epiphany and they're going to start wanting to work together with Democrats again. And I'm the guy that can work with Republicans. He's done this before, right? That I worked with Republicans when I was there as president. I'll be able to work with them. We'll be able to get things done. Uh, is that a message that resounds? Uh, your listeners can't see that I'm grimacing right now. Um, I remember uh, four or five years of my life when I was on Capitol Hill running around covering shutdowns and fiscal cliffs, and Donald Trump was in New York in Trump Tower and at Mar-a-Lago as a private citizen. Um, this this is not completely about Donald Trump. I, I hate to tell the former vice president that. Uh, Republicans didn't work with Barack Obama that much just kind of when they had to or on certain things. You know, we're not I don't I don't get the sense that we're headed back to some era where Kumbaya Kumbaya where a president Biden can get in the motorcade from some scene out of West Wing or walk up Capitol Hill to go meet with Mitch McConnell. They're going to close the door and and hammer it out in some dramatic meeting. Um this is this is bigger than Donald Trump. He's a product of it, and he's exploited it, and he's made it. He's intensified it for sure. Um, but the way the money works, and where the donors are, and how the system works right now, there's just no incentive for for either side to really work together or bend that much to get something done. They can't even pass an infrastructure bill. They agree on eighty percent of it. It may be an argument on Biden's for Biden that might work in the general, but. Well, I, it's not real hot in the primary. Well, the, the way the way it works in the primary, what he or the way he thinks it works it, is, it's you make it all about Trump, and then therefore whoever has the best chance of beating Trump becomes more important than ever. Uh, which uh, that's his whole argument, right? He's the electable one. At this big speech in uh, Iowa, the the dinner formerly known as the Jefferson Jackson dinner, he said the only thing standing in our way is Trump. The only thing. Once we get rid of Trump, the the road is clear for massive progress, which is kind of a a, a diss of Barack Obama in a way because <laughs> there was no Donald Trump when Barack Obama was president and he struggled mightily. But I think it's rhetorically it makes sense for Biden because he's just trying to say all we need to do is beat Trump. Therefore, you, we need to pick the guy who can beat Trump, and that's me. Okay, we can't move on to your favorite stories of the week. We cannot abandon the political scene uh, unless we have a word from each of you about the biggest political news of the week, if not the century. Jeff Sessions is running for re-election, <laughs> he announced, in Alabama. Um, <laughs> is that a, a given? He runs, he wins? 
Mark? Probably. You, you know, I had a feeling this might happen because, of course, the reason that he was out of the Senate is he went to DOJ under Trump, made that huge mistake <laughs> of trusting Donald Trump with a piece of his career. And quite frankly, as somebody who covered Congress, he was a very good person to talk to. He liked to talk to the press. He was pretty open. And once he got into Trump land, he couldn't really say anything. And I think that kind of bothered him. And it's sort of a weird reason in the back of my mind why I think he's coming back. And frankly, I don't think he would want his career to end as it did, which it, it ended in a way that was, of course, crazy. Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and Donald Trump turned on him and right. trashed him every exactly opportunity right. that he could. Exactly. He took a lot of abuse. And right. So, John, how do you see it? I think this is going to be uh, just some great theater to watch. Mm. Um, of course, I, I'm a big college football fan, and uh, <laughs> Tommy Tuberville is running in the GOP primary, and get ready for the jokes that, well, Tuberville just lost another big game. It's what he does. <laughs> so I, I, and I agree with Lauren. I, I, think if, I think Sessions will probably win, but the theater will be how does Trump react to that and, and, to yeah, what, and, right. and how much does Sessions embrace Trump or does he talk about health care and jobs and, and the fact that he knows the Senate and, and all of that? If and, he, and Roy Moore is running again, mm. too. So this is just going to make it especially interesting. Yeah, for so, sure. So it'll be tough for Donald Trump to decide which one he's going to endorse, <laughs> Roy Moore. or But not good news for Doug Jones. Uh, probably not. I mean, nothing is really good news for Doug Jones, but this is especially <laughs> bad news for Doug Jones, uh, who, you know, won against Roy Moore. And he had been hoping that Moore would run again and that Moore would be the nominee again, I think Jeff Sessions is going to be, would be much, much tougher for uh, Jones to, to win again. Yeah. Um, well, we never even got to the Roger Stone trial. We'll save that for another time. It'll be going <laughs> on for a while. Uh, but uh, great conversation, friends. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we know we cover so much, we read so much that every once in a while, there's one little story that kind of pops out and gets your attention uh, for the week. We always ask you to share that with us. Who wants to start? I will start. Uh, you know, I think it's it's a pretty easy one, but it's Julie Briskman who flipped the president the bird oh, yes. <laughs> on the highway, and yes. now she just won for Loudoun County supervisor. <laughs> I, I just couldn't resist that, even though it's a very obvious, easy one to pick. Um, so that's the story. I mean, she flipped the president the bird. Somebody got a photo of it, and I don't know whether they were in the travel pool or not, but somebody got. A I was going to say, who got that yeah. thing, right? It's, it was a, someone know. in the in the press pool that day in the travel pool. Yeah. <laughs> and she lost her first one because of that right yeah and, and then she and, ran and again and this time she won she flipped a seat exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's right john sure uh very well, good very good well uh, back to college football i go it's oh, it's, it's, it's late in the week you see where my brain goes uh, late in the week uh but you know looking for a little break on saturday i was very excited uh planning my weekend around uh lsu alabama number two versus number three playoff implications it's everything a college football fan wants brad nessler gary danielson on the call i can't wait looking for a little break from uh the trump world and the trump madness and impeachment and then the president last night at the rally announces he is going to be in tuscaloosa <laughs> for this epic sec matchup so on sun on Saturday afternoon, get ready to see uh, probably a, a hundred cutaways uh, to President Trump, and who knows, maybe he'll join Brad and Gary in the booth for a little uh, for oh, yeah. a little uh, for a so, little interview. Who knows, he might even name the whistleblower on Saturday. So there, there right. goes your Saturday. There goes my Saturday, <laughs> Alex. Uh, I was gonna choose because it's such a good obvious uh, oh, story. Yeah. The, the the flipping the bird to flipping the seat uh, as well. <laughs> 
And uh, I don't really have a, a backup here, so I'm just going to say uh, Bill Press is my favorite story. Of <laughs> well, my favorite story, you know, for, for some reason, um, I'm on a lot of right-wing uh, email chains. And um, one of them, and, and I get a lot of them every day, uh, and a lot of them from Donald Trump. And yeah. almost every day, there's an offer for me to contribute $2 or $3 to have a meal with Donald Trump. And I, I must say, I've really been tempted to do that, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to kind of see what would happen if he walked in and I was the one he was having breakfast with or something. Well, it turns out, as Judd Legum, a friend of ours from Think Progress reported, that this is all a fraud. This is all a fake that uh, these people who get this, who win, end up, for the most part, not seeing Donald Trump at all. One woman, they flew in from wherever to New York to this breakfast, and he never even showed up. It was a big crowd, big big breakfast, but he was supposed to be in attendance. He wasn't even, not even in the room. Right. Uh, and other, one other person, it turned out that um, the the, pro, the big prize was not having lunch with Donald Trump, but standing in line at a buffet with Kimberly Guilfoyle. <laughs> 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 So I, I, I just want to put out the warning, right, that if you were ever tempted, like I was, to go for broke and spend your $3 to have a meal with Donald Trump. None of these people have figured out that all you have to do is go to a Trump property, like the Trump Hotel on Penn Avenue, and have lunch with them? Well, <laughs> I think do that the people free. that are, who are, you know, playing the lottery like this, this Republican RNC lottery, whatever it is, don't have the two hundred thousand dollars to right. join Mar-a-Lago. Exactly. That's my guess. That's probably true. <laughs> right. Anyhow, so um, word to the word to the wise. That's all. Don't don't go for it. <laughs> uh, and that's it for this week's roundtable. Oh no, I have a little parting shot here. Oh, I'm sorry about this. Uh, let me add that and uh, and remind you, as always, that the views expressed in the parting shot are mine and not necessarily the members of the panel. Who's the whistleblower? I demand to know who he is so I can attack him, smear him, call him a never-Trumper, Democratic hack, or communist agent. Yes, that's Donald Trump's latest line of defense in the impeachment saga. He tried to say that the phone call to the president of Ukraine was perfect. He called it another witch hunt. He tried to say there was never any quid pro quo. But none of that works, so now he's back to what he does best and what he's done against so many other people. James Comey, Robert Mueller, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff. Ugly personal attacks. The whistleblower is only his latest target. But guess what? In this case, it's not going to work. Nobody cares who the original whistleblower is anymore because the, the concerns that he raised about the President of the United States Soliciting help from a foreign government in an American election, those concerns have been confirmed over and over again by witnesses in front of the impeachment inquiry, including one NSA's Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, who actually listened in on the call. So, yes, it's disgusting for Donald Trump to pick on the whistleblower, disgusting for Rand Paul to demand that the media unmask him, Disgusting for Donnie Jr. to name a person that right-wing media suspect is the whistleblower. But you know what? They're only wasting their time. No matter who he is, we now know he told the truth. And Democrats have all the evidence they need, even without him. So let's not forget, this impeachment inquiry is not about the whistleblower. 
This impeachment inquiry is about the abuse of presidential power by Donald Trump. And that's it for this week's roundtable. Next week, the fireworks begin on Wednesday with testimony from Trump's charge d'affaires for Ukraine, Ambassador William Taylor. But for now, thanks to our panel, Alex, John, and Lauren. Thanks to all of you for listening. Now, before you sign off, here's our own quid pro quo. The quid is we offer you two great podcasts from the Bill Press Pod every week. The quo is you simply sign up for the Bill Press Pod by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn, search for the Bill Press Pod, and sign up. It's that or subscribe. It's that simple, and it's free. And even better, while you're there, give us a big five-star review. Nothing's more important in helping us grow the Bill Press Pod. Again, thanks to our panel. Thanks to all of you for listening. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, so you'll get an alert when each new podcast is posted. Like, by the way, our very next podcast, an exclusive interview with me, former California Governor Jerry Brown, and dynamic candidate for president, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Yep, Jerry Brown and Mayor Pete coming up next on the Bill Press Pod.